to play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Because I'm a feminist. Where did music go? Petty and Black. That yeah. was good. Thank that was witty and was cute. Yes, I liked thank it. Thank you very much, guys. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Did you miss us? We were gone for a whole seven days, and <sighs> we are here, ready again to get things going. I'm in the studio with Selena, Cat Daddy, Selene, What's Eating Harlem, Black Enterprise, Hill. I'm also here with Alyssa, Spread Love, Politically Preposterous, You've Been Lawyered, I Got the Keys, and the Legal Fees, Fuchs. <laughs> And Jackie, Mother Loving Cohen, is not here because she's somewhere listening to a podcast. That's probably the ghost code of switch. The ghost of Jackie is here. The ghost of Jackie with the Jennifer Garner bangs. She make them things hang. Do your ears hang low? We don't really know because I just made that up. And we are back after not getting much sleep last night because we were pretty much at all airports shouting. And we want to get things moving. So, guys. If you just listen for the first time and you think I sound cool, you can follow me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can follow me on Instagram at Stan Fritz. You can even follow me on Snapchat where I don't really post, but it's Dark Skin Swindle. And I tried to switch it to Stan Fritz because Selena said I had to, but I couldn't. Selena? Welcome, everyone. Thank you, Stanley, for those amazing introductions. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are live and in effect. Um, happy Sunday, everyone. If you're not having a happy Sunday, I don't blame you. Like, there's crisis among us, and we're in a Donald Trump world, and things already are going downhill. So we have a lot to discuss, obviously. If you guys want to tweet us or chime into the conversation, you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. What if we don't want to? Our amazing, well, anyway, Stanley. So our amazing intern, Asanet, could not be here because she had, she got sick. So, but we'll def- I'm checking uh, tweets right now on my laptop, so you can tweet us there. You can also chime into our Facebook live stream, which is filtered by, uh, which is streamed by WHCR. So we'll be taking comments there as well. And of course, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. So, obviously, we have a lot to talk about. The first seven days of the Trump administration has been a disaster, to say the least. And, I mean, besides all the things that he does that was probably not legal and that was extremely discriminatory, but in, like, the executive orders and... Uh, the, the lies and the alternative facts. I mean, it's just been a whirlwind of a mess. And we're going to talk about we're going to talk about as much as we can. And we're definitely going to start off with the immigration bans that Donald Trump has posed on multiple Muslim majority countries, which as a result has detained over 100. Well, over 100 um, as of Saturday were Over 100 people coming from Muslim countries were detained here in the U.S. Most of them have been released, but they are still detained. Some of them are still detained even at JFK as we speak, and they have valid visas. Some have green cards, but because they're coming back from a country that is majority Muslim, they are being discriminated against. And that is horrible, and that is not American, and that pretty much defies the fabric of our country. But then again, so does Donald Trump. So we're going to talk about that in depth. We're also going to, later on in the show, we're going to talk about um, some of the senseless wars and crisis. What that is it good for? War. 
Right. Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Yes, guys. So we are going to be talking about the Vietnam War, and we're also going to be having a conversation with um, a veteran who fought in the Iraq War. He'll be giving us his point of view on whether he thinks wars are necessary, would he go back and fight another one, and what we should be doing to move forward. So it is going to be an action-packed show. There's going to be a lot to discuss. And um, because Trump is so strange and he's so unusual, we're going to take a little more time than usual for like a segment to kind of really unpack everything that's happening. So yeah. make sure you tune in and you call in. You can give us a call at 212-650-6903, or you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. There's also the option of Facebook Live. If you leave a comment, we will try our very best to get to it. Instagram, we have so many ways to talk to us, guys. So please do questions, comments, concerns. Um, what are you excited about? What are you afraid of? We want to hear it all. Definitely. And also, this is the time when we will be honoring a special Dreamer and Doer live and in the studio later on in the show. So tune in for that. But Alyssa Fuchs is back last Sunday. She was not here because she was at the Women's March protesting and fighting for our rights, which she does every single day of her <laughs> life as a civil rights attorney. But Shiro. she's back. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Um, I missed you last week, although I did call in. You but did. I, I think didn't twice? To, yeah, twice. Um, but I didn't get to really express all my opinions on that. But don't worry, I have plenty of opinions for you today. And if you want to leave a comment or you have any questions for us, you can also put them on Be Heard. I'm sorry. Well, you can put them on Be Heard Radio, of course, but you can also put them on Politically Preposterous, which is Facebook.com slash Politically Preposterous or at Paul Preposterous on Twitter. Or you can look me up on my fan page, which is Facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs with an I or on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs also with an I. Definitely, guys. And again, you can let your voice be heard by calling in if you're brave enough, if you're bold enough, if you agree or if you disagree. We want you to let your voice be heard at 212-650-6903. Now we have to go on a quick break, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, we're jumping right into the first seven days of the Trump administration. We gon' get real smack cause we don't care. Donald Trump wants <laughs> to start a nuclear war. Donald Trump said... Are you starting your singing career, about, man? Yep, listen. Donald Trump is trying to start World I, War I III. I wanted to hear the last lyric. Listen, I'll, I'll think of... You actually, ha- you actually are on key, lyric. though. So I'll give you credit because I can't sing. sing. It's like a thing we get. <laughs> I but didn't say that. Don- <laughs> Donald Trump is trying to start World War Three, Four. And 17, all in one week. So if we're not going to be alive next year because of nuclear firestorm, why not just do what you want to do right now? We should just drink Hennessy and play Xbox One, play some Madden, take some naps, and, you know, whatever. Because Trump is just doing things. Selena, did you know that yesterday Donald Trump made Jet Magazine make him the Jet Mag Beauty of the <laughs> Week? He signed an executive order for it. I can't. Did but I o- wouldn't put it past him. AD also, he also signed an executive order to make his inauguration day a national holiday. Oh, my God. You know, one thing, no, even, though, even though those things really? aren't true. Yeah, he actually didn't know. That second one was true. Hold on, hold on. It was true, Stanley? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. Wow. I'd have to actually see a copy yeah, of it. Yeah, Stanley, that's... I, I mean, listen, I'm not saying I don't believe you. It's just like... So here's a big issue that I I've had. I got the white man's Googles on deck, Here's a, here's a big accepted. issue that I've had with some people, which is some people... And we can talk about this more in detail, but I don't want to get us off topic. Some people on the left have actually been spreading stuff that's fake. And yeah. when you do that, it plays into Trump because his whole thing is that, like, everything is fake news and everything that comes from the left is fake news. So when you actually do perpetuate fake yeah. news, and I don't mean satire because yeah. satire is different, then you actually play right into his hands because then if something gets 
gets picked up and it turns out to be fake, it makes him look like he's actually right when in reality he's not. And so we got to be careful with that. He's so ridiculous that you can't differentiate. Like, did you know during (laughs) this week... Sean Spicer, his press secretary, was tweet- accidentally tweeting out his password. Yeah. What? And that, then, I, that is true. Yes. And then also, at one point, they saw that Donald Trump's like, Twitter account was linked to a Gmail. Not to the White House email, a Gmail account. It, th- these things are actually happening. So I can't get mad at anyone who passes out fake Trump news because it might be real. Well, well speak- speaking of what is real and what is not real, there are some very real detrimental things going on in our country right now. And I just wanted to start there because, as I said, we're spending this first hour, well, the rest of the hour of the show, just talking about what has happened in the last seven days. So basically, President Trump, and I know it's so hard for me to say that, but um, I I learned, I had to train my mind to say it, but I'm, I'm at the point where I can actually say President Trump, he's moving so fast and so furious. He has basically... um. Well, written, signed a number of executive orders to fulfill his campaign promises. I mean, you know, when he was campaigning and he says, we're going to build a wall and we're going to make a Muslim registry and we're going to ban Muslims from the country. Like, I was just like, that's never going to happen. Like, but then again, I also said, you're never going to be president. So, And you also um, told me I'd never be a real boy. And you were wrong about that as well. Real boy. I'm a real G now, beloved. What? All right. Thank you, Stanley, for the nonsense. So um, Donald Trump, he issued what has been an explosive executive order that has closed borders to refugees for the next three months, 120 days to citizens from seven countries that are dominated by Muslims. Um, And the president. So that was just one thing. And we're going to start there. But before we delve into that and the backlash that that executive order has been getting. I want to also let everyone know that he's also signed an executive order to start to roll back the Affordable Care Act. He has also uh, directed and started to build that infamous wall on the southern border, and he plans to hire... They haven't started to build it yet. Oh, excuse me. It's just been directed. Right, directed. um, They directed to start building. Um, He also tried to hire he's also advocating to hire 5,000 more border agents like we don't already have enough security um in addition to that he has ordered permits for the dakota access pipeline and the keystone pipeline he has also put into place a hiring freeze in many federal agencies um he has killed the trans-specific partnership aka tpp um and he has also announced that federal dollars will not be distributed to any international non-governmental organization that simply provides information on how women can get abortions right so we are living in an extreme america right now those were just some of the things he's done in the last seven days can i just point out also he didn't write those those executive executive orders steve bannon his senior advisor did and also just last you mean senior nazi thank you thank you very true his senior nazi trash white person of the year steve bannon wrote those executive actions they did not consult with any government agency and then when when the department of dhs um they pushed back on the um blocking of certain muslim countries the white house overruled them and then to top it off donald trump appointed steve bannon to his um to his um, national security team kicking off and kicked out the joint chief's chair and his national security advisor 
So Steve Bannon is going to be working on our foreign policy and probably impacting what kind of um, battles and wars we get into. So there's that. Right. So, you um, yeah, and that's horrifying in itself. So it's true. Um, Steve Bannon is definitely one of the people that is behind these executive orders that Donald Trump simply signs. And the one that seems to be getting the most backlash, especially across the country. And if you're flying, you know this firsthand. I mean, if you see what's going on at the airports in L.A. and Chicago and Boston, Boston and here in New York City at JFK, there have been massive protests and outrage against the executive order that, again, bans immigration from at least seven majority Muslim countries. And it also this executive order has also frozen our refugee program for at least 120 days. So I definitely want to start the conversation there. Um President Trump actually signed this executive order on Friday. Alyssa Stanley, what was your reaction? Um, I mean, so I think the first reaction I had was that I was a little perplexed given that the ban did not apply to certain countries, Mm -hmm. including Saudi Arabia, which is a country where I believe something like seven out of eight of the people who were involved in 9-11 actually came from Saudi Arabia. So it seemed to me like there was a bit of picking and choosing, and that picking and choosing was dependent on which of these Arab countries Donald Trump does business with, because, of course, those people were not excluded. But um, the real thing that I think is important here is that um, the executive order has already been stayed, or at least partially part of it has been stayed, um, pursuant to an order that was issued last night by Judge Donnelly, who is an appointed judge in the Eastern District of New York. And that moved very quickly. Um, And also, one of the people who was detained was actually an Iraqi who had worked and risked his life to work with the United States military um, and had been very much vetted. So I think it's really important to understand that um, the ruling that was issued last night does in some ways block part of the executive order. Now, there are some questions as to whether or not an executive order like this is actually constitutional or not. Those questions will be answered later on down the road. They have not been answered yet. On one hand, the president does have a, a lot of leeway to restrict immigration. But on the other hand, that restrictions cannot violate other provisions of the law, namely the Constitution. Um, but, I mean, just from a personal perspective, I was appalled, but I was not surprised. I mean, this is exactly what he campaigned on. My so God. these things should not... I, I love it when some of his supporters seem surprised. And it's like, dude, this is what he ran on. Like, My how are you surprised about this? Stanley? So I think one of the first things that we need to, to talk about before we go and trash Donald Trump, which mm-hmm. I am very excited to do, is the way that they came up with the countries to put on their list to ban mm-hmm. is from a list that the Obama administration had already had where they were going to give a closer watch to, get, to granting people visas from these particular countries. So, but that's th- a little different. No, it's, it's very different, but still, like, that's, that, was the, that was the resource for that list. So I, I just want to make sure that we, as much as I love Obama, we do need to make sure that we point out the things that he failed on. And this is something that he failed on because that shouldn't have even been in a conversation. Now, moving on with Donald Trump, he, he promised this from day one. People loved every second of it, and now everyone wants to act shocked. I'm not really interested in your shockedness. I'm not really interested in you being appalled now because you were cheering for it and you voted for it. And that was one of the biggest things in the polls at the elections. People were excited about a Muslim ban. What I would like to do now, because since everyone is so shocked and frustrated, is I want to call out the Republican Party and demand that they do something because they have been eerily quiet all weekend. Mm. 
all weekend. They have said nothing at all. And meanwhile, the Democratic Party has spent their time either laying down or making empty statements that they don't back up with action against the Republican Party or Donald Trump. So you're both being put on notice. I've had a lot of conversations with people this weekend where they want to keep telling me that, you know, there's extremists on the left as well. But their party is the one that is literally trying to tear our country apart. But let's not right. also forget that like these things are things that are likely to get challenged in court over and over and over again because of the potential constitution implications. As I pointed out, you can restrict certain immigration, but when that restriction on immigration starts to leak over into you know religion and people being you know essentially banned because of their religion, then you are now starting to leak over into First Amendment area where our constitution prevents stuff like that. And these this is just going to keep setting up constant court challenges over and over and over again with everything that he tries to do because of the fact that he does not take the time to think about how these things maybe impact the Constitution. Or maybe he does and he just doesn't care. And he's like, hey, you know what? Sue me. Well, yeah. wh- what does that mean if he can pack the courts now? Because the Republican Party is ready to pretty much vote in anybody he wants to appoint to the Supreme Court or the district courts. I mean, well, that really that's that's really a it depends situation. And I'll give you a perfect example, which is um, Scalia, right? Who who the seat that that is missing that was not filled that is essentially been stolen from the president of Obama that we should point that out again and again and again. But when Scalia was appointed, he was considered to be very conservative and he was. However, because of the way Scalia read the Constitution, he would very often fall on the side of people who had been convicted of crimes or charged with crimes because of his very strict reading of the Fourth Amendment. And so he would end up sometimes coming down with the liberals because of the fact that he believed in a very strict interpretation of the Constitution. Another example of that is Judge Souter, who has since retired, was actually appointed by Ronald Reagan, turned out to be one of the most liberal judges that there ever was. So, yes, Yes, I, I agree with you. From uh, the outward point of view, it looks as though he will be able to get more conservative judges on the court that will uphold his agenda. And that's a big concern when it comes to abortion rights, which I know we're going to talk about in a, in a little while. Um, but at the same time, you just never know how that's going to pan out, because we've seen that many times before where conservatives put conservatives on the court and they turn out to be pretty liberal and vice versa. Right. Have we ever had a, a, a Republican or conservative president who would outright tell them, hey, if you want to be appointed, you have to promise me that you're going to vote a certain way? I mean, they can say that all they want, but judges are bound by a different code. I mean, and once the judge is appointed, that appointment's for life. The president can't just turn around and be like, oh, you didn't decide this case the way I told you or wanted you to decide. Therefore, your job is gone. You like, don't think Donald Trump will, try to, will come out in public and try to say something like that? He could say something like that, but what he says and what's actually allowed about judicial appointments and how judges are removed and appointed will prevent certain things. And that's like the key to checks and balances. I'm and not- there's one there's one branch in this country that is still working, as far as I'm concerned, in some way. And that's in checking the power of the president and the legislature. And you saw that yesterday. And that's the judicial branch. Well, speaking of checking the power of the president, uh, Stanley had mentioned that Democrats almost seem to be like frozen like a deer in headlights. Um, or, or maybe that's not true. Like, I mean, I see Elizabeth Warren out in the trenches. We know Bernie Sanders has never stopped letting his voice be heard and speaking out against it. But do you wh- what are Democrats doing? Are they doing enough to try to stop uh, the try to stop President uh, Trump's executive orders and his moves, which seem to, if not 
not defy, at least challenge the Constitution and our democracy. Well, I mean, when in terms of elect- executive orders, as you saw when Obama was president and he issued executive orders, there's not a ton of stuff that Democrats or the opposing party can do. I mean, they can bring lawsuits, and that's what you saw yesterday. Obviously, that lawsuit was not brought by uh, Democrats per se because they didn't have standing. It was bought, brought by people who had been detained at the airport. The actual immigrants, legal immigrants that had the standing to bring that lawsuit. Um, so, but in terms of just blocking his agenda, um, you know, Democrats obviously can vote against his nominees. The thing is, the Democrats are really far out of power right now. So that puts them in a position where there's only so much they can do. That said, I don't want to spend a lot of time today talking about what Democrats can or can't do. I really want to stay focused on the things that Trump is doing, because I think that's really important that we keep in that, that in focus. Um, and while I think it's important that we criticize Democrats when they're not stepping up, up and we continue to do so. I just feel like at this you know, juncture, at least, I want to stay focused on the things that Trump is doing and what we're doing to combat those things. We can talk about Trump, but we need to call out these Democrats who have laid down so far for Trump, like Elizabeth Warren, who laid down on, on a couple of us so far. You're talking about the confirmation hearings? Yes. The ones no, that I she mean, voted I would for? agree with you. I just want to address that as part of something well, separate. I th- well, I, I think that it's inclusive in the conversation. We do have um, Bill on the line who would like to let his voice be heard about what is President Trump's America. Thank you so much for calling in, Bill. Hey, how y'all doing? Good. This is Bill. Yes. Okay. I'm, I, I, I want to respect, respectfully disagree a little bit, but I don't want you to hang up on me like I'm, I'm against the, the country. I'm not against the country. Okay, Bill, go ahead. All right. Now, I was a Democrat, a foreign Democrat, but I jumped over to the Republican because not that he was a, 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 a chauvinistic none in that. It's, the matter is that there is a lot of issues where the Democrats let us down. And many of us have been some too, but when we get on these jobs, there's a lot of these here uh, 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 new names or newfound things, homosexuals and gay come on the job, and they want to take over. We have a concrete foundation, and we want to help the nation. You know, but this, these, these homosexual fags, got on the job. Mm-hmm. So, so, Bill, you cannot use racial slurs or, or gay slurs towards people, so I'm going to have to take you off air for that. You just, this is not worth the response. Anybody want to no, respond? No, Stanley, please explain. So, Bill, um, like he's saying, from what I understood, is he's saying that the problem with the country are homosexuals and gays, and he used the F word in reference to gay people, which is why I, t- I took his mic off. Um, so, so, Bill, thank you for calling, but please do not use that, that language on the air. It's we're in a really bad place when we pro- have one minority attacking another minority. I mean, this is what it comes down to right now. All groups of minorities need to stand together against President Trump. And that means LGBT people standing with people of color and with people from different origins and with immigrants and with all the other groups that are being discriminated. Because at the end of the day, Bill, you're going to the camp with me. Right. And, and I mean, pretty much said, thank you so much, Alyssa. And I think that we at, at this time, we don't want to attack one another. As Alyssa said, we need to stand together in unity and fight the real terror, which happens to be the one in the right, the White House. On that note, we're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll come back continuing to talk about President Trump's first seven days in office right here. And let your voice be heard.
We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, we are talking about fast times at Donald Trump's White House in the last seven days and what it's been like for most people who know how to read, think critically, and care about other people besides themselves and their sister who they are also trying to date because they are from, I'm not going to say that because it's not nice to say. I was gonna say it really was a whirlwind. It was, it was. It was. Uh, it, it, it's it, it like re- so much yeah. has happened. It's just like one thing after another. It's and like I just being find slapped myself... in the face by a racist repeatedly. Well, I was going to say over and over and over again. Yeah. So his Trump supporters are saying that this just proves that Donald Trump can get more done in seven days than President Obama did in years. Well, I mean, they're also hypocrites because they spent eight years complaining about the fact that President Obama was using too many executive orders and was bypassing checks and balances and bypassing Congress. And the only reason their dear leader has been able to get all of these things done in the past seven days is because he's done exactly the same thing that they complained about for the past eight years with Obama. Of course, they're not complaining anymore because it's that same thing, which is, you know, when the black guy does it, we hate it. But when our guy does it, well, oh, well, who cares? No, you're absolutely right. And just to add on really quickly to that. We also need to remember that when President Obama came into office, he was extremely diplomatic and he made it his business to try to reach over to the other aisle to be bipartisan and to unify Congress. And it almost backfired in front of him. And then he started using executive orders. Now you have a president who's doing the exact opposite, who's coming in and saying it's my way or the highway, almost acting as a dictator. And not only almost not well, pretty much, but not only just implementing uh, executive orders, but he's sort of like changing the direction of the country in days. So we started this conversation talking about how Donald Trump is not singling out Islamic terrorists, not singling out individual people or people who are associated with ISIS, but instead he has enforced a executive order that puts a blanket ban over whole countries of people from coming over to our country. And for the record, a lot of these people were already vetted for years for at least uh, most of them are vetted for at least two years. And then they get a visa and they get the okay to come over here and to migrate and to make our country stronger because that's what immigrants do. And all of a sudden, starting on Friday, they were told you can't come here. Right. So we talked about that. In the first half. Now we wanted to I talk was just about. I say we'll have a lot more on that as it proceeds. Oh, yeah. We'll definitely be covering that story and following it as well. Uh, thank you for that. So now I wanted to also talk about what Trump has planned and started to do when it comes to this wall. Right. He's he said on the campaign trail, I'm going to build this billion dollar wall and we're going to make Mexico pay for it. Mexico has come out again and again saying we will not pay for this wall. And in fact, um, he has offended the Mexican president along with that. But along with building the wall, Donald Trump is also threatening sanctuary cities with federal funding cuts. He is also building additional detention centers and he is publishing a weekly list of undocumented immigrants who have committed crimes. Wait, wait, I read about this somewhere. Oh, wait, that was the Holocaust. That's exactly <laughs> well, what you read well, about e- it. Explain um, your, your thoughts on that, Stanley. So in the beginning stages of the Holocaust, and I'm pretty sure my Jewish sister over there could do a better job of telling, selling it than I can, but one of the things that Hitler did to build up support to go after the Jews was put out like stories in the press that, per- that perpetuated like Jewish people as criminals or as thieves or as untrustworthy, and that was the way that he kind of built up that support. Alyssa? I mean, in fact, he published a whole newspaper called The Criminal Jew, where he would publish 
fake crimes that they claimed that Jewish people had committed for the very reason of demonizing them in order to support the policies that eventually led to concentration camps. But um, not to, to get back to the original conversation, which, which is very disturbing in terms of the fact that Trump is now proposing that and also probably something that will be challenged as violating the Constitution. That said, getting back to the wall and to the 20 percent tariff, my biggest question that I have for Trump supporters on this is, do you realize we're going to pay uh, and that what a 20% tariff actually means. I mean, think about this for a second, right? There are certain goods that are only sold and produced in, Me- oh, sorry, sold here that are only produced in Mexico, tequila. like tequila. And I'll use tequila because that's something that I know both Republicans and Democrats and liberals and conservatives all like. And so let's say I sell tequila, right? And I basically it cost me two hundred dollars to ship an entire case to make and ship an entire case here. A case is twelve bottles, which means each bottle is sixteen dollars and sixty six cents. So in order for me to make a profit, I charge twenty dollars a bottle to a retailer, and maybe the retailer charges you twenty two or twenty three dollars for that bottle of tequila. Now, if there's a twenty percent tariff on that, now it's going to cost me two hundred and forty dollars to ship that same case in. So now I can no longer sell my bottles of tequila for twenty dollars in order to make my profit, I instead now have to bump that cost up to $24 a bottle, which means the retailer is now going to jump their cost up to $28 a bottle, which means that bottle of tequila, which used to cost you 20 bucks, now costs you $8 more. And this doesn't just apply to tequila. It applies to any good that is made in Mexico. Now, some avocados, I mean, even Oreos are made by Nabisco in Mexico. A lot of people don't realize that. So, I mean... Some people have said, well, good, it will force these companies to come back into America and produce their their goods here, which may be true. Maybe it will. On the other hand, if they start producing the goods here, that's also going to make the goods more expensive. Why? Because in America, we obviously have to pay people much, much higher wages, which some people agree with. And we can have a larger debate back and forth about the economics of that. But at the end of the day, a 20% tariff yeah. is not Mexico paying for the wall. It is you paying for yep. the, the wall every time you go to the grocery store and shop. So, But the thing that gets me is because obviously, Alyssa, you know, that just makes perfect sense. And some Republicans actually do have brains and some intellect, and they know that and they understand that. And I believe Lindsey Graham even tweeted that any uh, executive order or, or policy that would increase the price of tequila and avocado is something I'm not okay with. So how do you explain that to your constituents? Like, how do you go back and tell the people that voted for you, that voted for Trump, that, hey, you're going to have to pay more money on basic goods? Well, they're not. They're going to blame it on the black guy. They're going to find someone to say that it was Barack Obama's fault. And listen, the Republican Party, this is what they wanted. They're, they're giving Trump this tariff because Paul Ryan wants to cut Medicare and they want to gut the Affordable Care Act. So they're going to give him a couple of his toys so they can pretty much redefine how the government works. Well, we have Taman on the line who would like to let his voice be heard. Good morning, Taman. Hey, good morning. Y'all. How y'all doing? We're good. Hey, I just wanted to pretty much say what the president has done this week is uh, it's been very troubling because I, I don't think the president knows that he's alienating people, especially with this border thing. I mean, I think, you know, one of my big things that I believe in is in foreign policy. And when you come to the border wall threatening another nation, you know, I, I, I keep hearing a lot of people say or post online, like former speeches of President Obama or President Clinton, ask, you know, asking for a wall. That's one thing. But when you demand that another nation and then threaten them with a tariff, that's you're going to eventually alienate the extremists of the people that exist in both nations. 
For here, it would be, you know, maybe as we've seen some of the white extremist groups in Mexico, it may be some of the extremist groups that exist in the drug cartels. And that's very uh, frustrating if you're, an, if you're an average citizen. And the one last thing I want to bring up, and I'll let you guys you know get back, is when it comes to the Muslim ban, like you guys mentioned earlier, if you're going to ban people from, you know, these countries – but you didn't actually ban anybody from the countries that actually attacked us, for example, 9-11, like you guys said with Saudi Arabia, you're going to alienate and cause tension amongst people of the extremists that exist in these countries. What President Trump did was very troubling, very frustrating. I just want to Thank you so much, Taman, for calling in, letting your voice be heard. We always appreciate that. And, guys, if you want to chime into this conversation, feel free to call us up at 212-650-6903. Stanley? Yeah, so I just want to say one thing, modification to what Taman said. We should not be banning any country from coming over here. If we're going to start banning countries, let's start with Europe because most of the terrorists I've ever seen are white. Oh, uh, Alyssa? I mean, listen, I, um, I I think we should have, obviously, vetting of people that are coming, but I, I agree. I don't think we should ban people depending on necessarily country of origin. We should ban people depending on whether or not we have information that they're a bad person that may do something illegal. Um, getting back to the Mexico thing for a second, which is, you know, we talked about the tariff and how it's going to affect Americans and how we're going to end up paying for the wall and paying for it twice, not just out of our taxes to maintain it, but also with our groceries. But the other thing that we should really address is the fact that right now net immigration from Mexico is actually in the negatives. A lot of people are actually leaving the United States and going back to Mexico, not the other way around. In addition, a lot of these people, there is fencing up along the border in a lot of places and a lot of people actually tunnel under the fencing. And so a wall is not going to uh, prevent people tunneling under. Another really, really important part of this conversation is the fact that the majority of people who are here illegally are people who came here legally on visas through our airports and overstayed the visas, not people that are coming over a border. And therefore, again, a wall will not prevent those people. So this whole idea of a wall is based on a false premise about immigration. And I think a really important thing for us to do as people on the left is to, one, attack it from an economic point of view, but also attack it from the point of view of like, you know, these alternative facts that are lies, as I like to call them, this bubble that some people on the right live in about immigration is false. And we need to counter that false narrative about how immigrants are actually entering the country because it goes right against the need for the wall to begin with. No, Alyssa, you are absolutely right about that. Um, I do think we're going on a break. Maybe we aren't yet. <laughs> OK, we are. Guys, we're going to go on a break, but don't go anywhere because we're going to talk more about alternative facts. Right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. I don't know what it is about me. I don't know. Oh, hey, guys. Um, hey we're guys. back. This <laughs> is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. My name is Selena Hill. And again, I'm here with Stanley Fritz on the PC Ones and Twos. We also have Alyssa Fusk-Squire here. Um, so with all the legal knowledge and facts, we are talking about the last seven days, the first seven days of the Trump administration. Oh, the last. Um, I mean, pretty much. And everything that he has been doing, we do want to move on, start to talk about the war on the media that he's declared. But before we do, Stanley has some breaking news, and we also have a caller on the line. Yeah, so we do have some breaking news. After all the protests, dictator, <clears throat> sorry, I mean Donald Trump. The dictator Trump, Trump sounds so much better. announced that visa car- people with visas 
who are out of the country will not be stopped from coming, re-entering the country anymore. As I told you guys earlier today, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, had tried to amend his executive order to say that you could allow people with visas to come back in. And the White House had overruled it late at night and went over them. So now Trump is backtracking again. Oh, God. All right. So I want to get to the caller who's been patiently waiting on the line. We have Patty on the line who would like to let her voice be heard. Yes, my name is Patty Smith. I'm calling from Harlem. And I am, uh, you know person who's come from the plantation, and we older people, people who are like, um, you know, from the baby boomers beginning, we feel like the younger generation are exploiting and abusing our black history. They're overdoing it, talking about Obama was black, black. Obama didn't come from the plantation. He's not part of our struggle. He was raised pure white. So speaking of that, I just want to say this. Those of you who are threatening people who vote for Trump, that's very un-American. I've been voting for 50 years. I've never seen anything like this before. The Democrats lost, and the Republicans won. The Republican that we have in the office now, I don't think you all realize he's doing what we people ask him to do. We want America back like it was. You guys are in there that are youth and just started voting. You don't know what America was like before. What Obama did was change it. We're getting back to what we were, whether you guys like it or not. Your threats don't bother us black people who voted for Trump because we've been feeling pain from the Democrats for a long time. And people come from the Caribbeans and all that who we paved the way. Stop using Obama talking about he black. Because he was half black, half white, and was raised pure lily white. That game is not working. You all are out of date. Thank, thank you, you very much, Miss Patty. Um, so, <clears throat> Patty, thank you so much for calling and giving your nonsensical response to our conversation today. A couple of quick questions. There's something called the one-drop rule. You got a, blo- a drop of black in you, you're black. Obama's black. But that is irrelevant. By the way, actually 68 million people voted for Hillary, so we didn't want this. Yeah, no. And I'll just add to that, that, you know, going after somebody's policies and speaking out against uh, policies, especially ones that are very reminiscent of the Holocaust and and of the things that Hitler was doing, um, is not uh, attacking that person. It's attacking the policies, especially the bad policies. But another really, really important thing that we need to remember is that um, while, yes, uh, he won the Electoral College, as Stanley pointed out, three million people more, sorry, three million more people voted for Hillary, um, only less than... 43% of the country uh, actually wanted President Trump. Um, So they are not the majority. They're actually a minority, despite the fact they won. And the other thing is important is we don't do things in this country based just on what the majority wants, especially if those things violate the Constitution. If you wanted a law tomorrow that said every black person is getting burned at the stake, that law would be unconstitutional, even if 75 percent of people in this country wanted it. If If people wanted a law tomorrow that said we shoot gay people on site, that law would be a gone unconstitutional, even if 75% of the people wanted it. We do not make laws in this country based on what the majority wants. We make laws, yes, in some ways based on what people want, but those laws must still comply with our Constitution, and we do not just do what people want to do in the face of the Constitution, especially when they're despicable and in violation of the Constitution. Stanley, 10 seconds. By the way, this country is ours now. 
All right. So um, with that said, we're getting a lot of calls, guys. If you want to let your voice be heard, the number is 212-650-6903. So another thing that President Trump and his administration did was they pretty much declared a war on the media and a war on reality. They've branded that as alternative facts. So um, if you guys weren't following every single thing that they did because it was pretty hard. Um, pretty much his uh, Kelly Ann Conway, she was on Meet the Press last Sunday. And while she was being questioned about why Donald Trump and his White House secretary, uh, Sean Spencer, continue to tell, continue to tell Americans that their inauguration was the, one of the biggest ones ever. And that President Trump had like a, a, he told he told us that he had like one point five million people. And that the pictures that show the matter of fact, the photographic evidence that show that there was a significant less amount of people at his inauguration compared to President Obama's first inauguration. He said that that's not true and that he had millions, uh, uh, at least a million people out there. So then when Kellyanne Conway was getting questioned about it, she said, well, you know what? You have facts and then you have alternative facts, meaning that they are somehow debating reality and truth. And instead, they're pushing these falsehood narratives to American people, even though it's really petty. And we understand that Donald Trump is just doing that because it affects his ego. It's still a lie. Am I on Molly? Like, this can't be real. It is real. And I don't know how or why it's happening. So, guys, we're not on Molly. We're all sober. Well, at least most of us. And we have another caller on our air. Kareem, let your voice be heard. Yes, good afternoon. This is Kareem. Hi, Kareem. Go ahead. Let your voice be heard. All right. Another beautiful day. Um, you, you had a caller that called on earlier, and he used the F word. Okay, I'm not going to condone that, and I'm not going to apologize for him, but he might have more in-depth information to say because, look, there's one thing. I notice how when somebody have a different opinion, people drag Hitler into this. We don't want to confuse none of this that's going on with Hitler. If you just have a, a disagreement, Hitler has nothing to do. Why Why make Hitler the scapegoat over here that's going over? I know there's people that drag Hitler into the conversation and telling everybody else to shut up, sit down, shut down, and, and Hitler and Hitler, Hitler and call him Hitler if they disagree. Well, what happened with Hitler happened over there in, in the Middle East. If you hate Hitler so bad, go over there and, and, and kill some um, white people over there. Over here, Hitler's not our discussion, okay? We have people who have built this nation, and blacks and white have fought against each other and fought with each other, and now we are not fighting each other like this here. So we don't want new millennials coming here with this newfound fangled ideas of what we should and should not do or otherwise shut up pops and moms and, and go get in the closet. No. What you all can do is uh, observe and listen. You might learn something, you know, about those bankers and the rich people that supported these here Thank you very much for calling in, Kareem. We really appreciate your comment. We don't agree with it at all, and we think it is kind of interesting, and we don't mean that in a good way. But I'm going to let Alyssa give the full throw response. You know, it's not a matter of just calling people Hitler just because you don't agree with them. There are a lot of things that I don't agree with that are policy-wise that I can have a debate about with somebody that I will not call them Hitler. I think the most important thing to realize is the reason why the term Hitler is getting thrown around right now is because um, we were taught after World War II to never forget, to never let the things that Hitler did happen again. 
again. And right now you are seeing very, very similar things to that to, to the things that Hitler did happening. I mean, the things that Trump are doing, some of them, not all of them, some of them I just disagree with on policy, right? I'm not calling them Hitler. But some of them, like we pointed out, like publishing the crimes of people, that is literally a page out of Hitler's playbook. And so, yes, when Trump does things that I merely disagree with, I'm just going to call him out and say I disagree with this. Um, but when he does things that are very much out of Hitler's playbook, then yes, I am going to compare them to the things Hitler did because we have to not forget, because we have to make sure that things like that never happen again. And to get to that point and to talk about the alternative facts and the war on the media, one of those things and one of those narratives that Donald Trump keeps perpetuating it is this lie about the fact that illegal immigrants voted, that dead people voted, and that people who are not otherwise allowed to vote voted, and all these claims about voter fraud that have been proven to be untrue. Why continue to repeat that lie and call it an alternative fact? Well, the reason is, is because they want to continue to assault voting rights. That is what they are setting up. They are not just saying those things because Donald actually thinks that, oh, all these illegal people voted. I mean, maybe he does, but they're saying those things because they want to use that as a pretext to have strict voting laws to make it so that it's harder for people to vote. And guess who those stricter voting laws are going to affect? They're going to affect people of color. They're going to affect other other minorities, such as LGBT people. They're going to affect elderly people who cannot get to the place to get a free ID in order to get to be able to vote. In New York, we do not have voter ID laws and we do not have any issues with voter fraud. We have other voter issues, as we saw in the primary, which I'm not going to get into now because that's not the subject of this conversation. But the, this, this false narrative about illegal people voting illegally is directly connected to the fact that they are going to start con- pushing policies that make it harder for people to vote and specifically harder for minorities to vote. No, uh, that that is absolutely correct. And I'm glad that you did bring up another one of the lies that the Trump administration is trying to spread, uh, saying that three million people voted illegally um, and all happened to vote for Hillary Clinton during the 2016 election. And I don't think they voted in like Wisconsin uh, or, or, or Michigan, but um, that's basically what he is saying. I know that we do have a caller on the line. We have Stunna who would like to let his voice be heard. Oh, hey, how you guys doing? Good, thank you. I um, I guess we all are similar because I'm on WHCR as well. So, um, And my show comes on at, comes on Thursday, Thursday, what, Wednesday night and Thursday morning, 12, 12 midnight to 3 a.m. So I just wanted to, um, you know, I'm always listening in to you guys. So and I'm, I'm a total supporter of you guys. So it's all good. You, you guys are telling the truth. Thank you so much. Um, did you did you have another comment or? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, you know, as far as the, the situation, I'm I'm hearing a couple other callers and they're kind of tripping out. But um, you know, as far as the Hitler situation, um, it's correct due to the fact that um, if um, I talked to one um, girl who um, who's from Venezuela, and she said that um, it's a, a makings of a, of a dictator because she she lived through dictator rule, and this is what the dictator in Venezuela did. And um, so she so she was saying that it was similar attributes. So you're absolutely right, because he's trying to control everything. If you look at the State Department, he 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 went around firing people who were supposed to be in place until the successors went in um, and got approved. But what he did is fired everybody and kicked everybody out. So that sounds like you know that pretty much sounds like you're trying to put people in place now, 
you know, before um, before they get confirmed to, to to handle your business. So it looks like we're, we're going to be we're dealing with um, a genocide rule, um, and people need to wake up to that. I saw that's all I had to say. Stana, thank you so much for calling in. We definitely stand in alliance with you. And thank you so much for also sharing the information so how people can uh, listen to your show here on WHCR. We appreciate that. So unfortunately, we do have to bring this conversation to a close. But we're not going to do that without giving some methods of resistance so that we can fight back. There are a number of things that people are doing across the country. I mean, they came out in millions to protest President Trump's inauguration the day after. That was the Women's March, and they've been protesting across the country against his immigration ban. So, final thoughts from the panel. I want to get your final thoughts, and then please leave us with a method or or two of resistance that we can take. Stanley? So, listen, right now, and I'm calling out Christians and Jewish people in particular, you need to be the loudest voices in the room, because the people who are running this country claim they have Christian values, and they're going out to another religion. And Jewish people, you... Your grandparents, your great-grandparents, they have seen this. They have gone through this. So you know we cannot repeat the past. We absolutely cannot do that. And the only thing we should be discussing is ways to fight back. If you don't want Christianity to look bad, Christians, then stand up. Speak out. Pray as much as you want, but when you finish praying, go take action. Because as the good word says, God takes. if you take one step towards God, he'll take two to you. Start stepping. Start marching. As far as actions, today, 2 p.m., Battery Park, Brooklyn, there's an action happening. There's an action happening at the Albany Airport today at 3 p.m. There's an action happening at LAX at 3 p.m. in California. There's an action happening in Chicago at 2 p.m. And we'll try our best to tweet out all the actions that are taking place all across the U.S. Because... As Alyssa showed me in a meme, first it came for the Muslims, and we said, hell no, no you don't. We will not fall. We will not make the same mistakes as the Holocaust. This is not happening on our watch. I mean, that's really just wanted where I wanted to pick up. If there's a, two things that you take away from this conversation, it's number one, alternative facts are not facts, they are lies. And number two, as Stanley just mentioned, and as I think bears repeating, the most pointed conversation and quotation that came out of the Holocaust was this. First, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. And then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak to me. And if you wait, and if you don't speak out, at some point, they're going to come for you, and there's going to be no one left to speak for you. So you better stand up, and you better speak out. And even if you can't physically be at an action, you need to call your representatives, tell them you disagree with these things and you need to keep fighting because the only way we're going to win this battle is if we resist guys thank you so much for that um if you haven't already participated in a march in the last 48 hours no in the last seven days if you haven't already because maybe you're physically unable or your work schedule doesn't permit there's things that you can do moveon.org right now is circulating a petition against the muslim ban i signed it this morning before i came to this show that is a very simple action that can take up to one minute you know if we all sign these petitions and then share it with our networks that's another way that change happens so definitely make sure that you're doing 
doing that. And if you are someone who's home and maybe you're disabled and can't do anything physically, then you can find and call your House representative or your senator and you can demand that they stand up and vote against some of the outrageous people and the egregious people that Donald Trump is nominating to run our country. You can demand that they uh, take action to protect our most vulnerable people, our people of color, our Muslim brothers and sisters. You can demand that. And I will say that, you know, just to answer Stanley's uh, concern and, and call for other Jewish people and Christian people to speak out, there have been several groups of Jewish Americans and people around the country that identify, I mean, around the world that identify as Jewish, calling out and issuing statements against the president's executive orders. A number of leaders have been speaking out. So we are standing in unison and we are standing in solidarity. And if we keep doing that, then we will get change because you know what? Donald Trump already is pushing back. Uh, already we had that uh, district judge from Brooklyn who uh, who issued a temporary stay so that the people being detained could stay here in uh, New York City. So there are there are measures already pushing back against Trump's administration so we cannot feel helpless or hopeless. We can do stuff and we have to make our voices heard to let him know that what he's doing is not right and it's not going to fly with us. On that note, we do have to take a quick break but don't go anywhere we're coming right back on here let your voice be heard We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. My president is black. My Lambo's blue. I would not be stopped by angry black Trump supporters. I'd like you too, sometimes. By the way, while we were on a break, someone called back in and said, F you, and called me a racial slur. So that was the highlight of my morning for the show today. Oh, God, you know really? You know we're doing something right. That's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. If you are a Trump supporter and you feel angry and you have hate in your heart for me or anyone in the studio, good. Anyways, guys, we are not here to talk about that. We are actually here to talk about a war. And war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing if you don't like going into trade wars like Trump is trying to do with Mexico. And if you don't want to be called the F word or some other words like the guy who called me back on the phone earlier did, then you probably are not very interested in war. But there was a time in our country, and I'm not just talking about yesterday or last night when two soldiers, American soldiers died in one of Trump's first American airstrikes, or even in 2006 when we were in Iraq. I am talking about 50 plus years ago when we were in Vietnam. Do you guys remember the Vietnam War? At this point, if you're a millennial, it was probably your daddy or your granddaddy or your great-granddaddy, depending on how frisky your family was during that time period. They spent time in that Vietnam War, and that was really the birth of a huge anti-war movement. I have a lot of people who I work with now. They came of age politically fighting against the Vietnam War. It was one of the wars that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood so adamantly against. And one of the questions we had to ask ourselves after more than 2 million lives were lost, after we decimated huge swaths of Vietnam, after we didn't go back to that country again until just about a year or two ago when President Obama stepped on their soil, after we we still have people living homeless on the street who are Vietnam War veterans after we still are fighting to make sure we don't do unethical things like use gangrene on people, pardon me, Agent Orange on people or torture our soldiers or torture prisoners. 
we are right back to this conversation of war. What is it good for? And lessons we may or may not have learned from the war on Vietnam. And because we're a little bit younger, we're a little bit fresher, we're a little bit ruder, as you can see, we tick off the older folk. We have a very special guest on the line to help us have this conversation about war. So with us today is Courtney Andar. He is the vice president of the board of directors at the Veterans for Peace. And he has served in the Georgia Army National Guard as an infantry, infantry soldier from 2011 to 2013. What does that mean? That means we are talking to someone who has literally put it on the line for the American people every single day. And we should be thanking him every single day for the rest of his life and his family's life. But, hey, this government is funny. So before we even begin our conversation, I just want to say, Courtney, thank you so much for your service. And how are you today? Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate that. I'm doing very well today. Thank you. That sounds very good. So, Courtney, please let the listeners know a little bit about you. Tell them why they should think you are awesome like we already do. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, um, I'm 30 years old. I am the vice president of Veterans for Peace. We're an international organization that's dedicated to the cause of peace and justice. Um, I served in the Georgia Army National Guard as an infantry soldier, although I never uh, deployed overseas. I did train to uh, fight uh, the so-called enemies of this country, and I decided that after you know a few years serving the military and serving the government and serving the corporations, I decided that for once I need to serve my country. And the only way that you can serve your country is to fight for peace and justice. You cannot serve your country by dropping bombs on other countries. You cannot serve your country by exploiting and oppressing people all over the world. The only way that you can serve your country is to do what's in the best interest of the people and do what's in the best interest of peace and justice. Thank you so much, Courtney. I mean, uh, that's just phenomenal. We appreciate not just your service to the country uh, in the military, but what you've been doing. So Courtney has actually been involved in social justice organizing for over 10 years. I know he's just 30 years old, but for the last 20 years of his life, he's also been training hundreds of men and women on issues of sexual violence prevention, uh, pro-feminism, and anti-racism. So, I mean, it's just phenomenal work. And there's definitely not enough uh, citizens and civilians uh, like you. Um, and Stanley, did you want to... Yeah, so, so Courtney, I mean, I mean, we're loading you for the great work that you're doing. Alyssa, I, wanna, I know you have something to say as well, but what I want to ask you is, having served and knowing everything that we know about war and the impacts it's, has, it's had on people, how have these last seven days impacted you? What has it made you think about? Has it made you concerned for your sisters and brothers who are, who are still in the force? Has it made you, um, you know, excited that we have a president that's quote-unquote, strong on national security. Where, What kind of space are you in right now? I would say that I am just as concerned and I am just as worried about the direction that the country is going as so many other people in this country. I see firsthand the effects of these policies, these executive orders, these presidential memos. I see firsthand the, the effect that it has on the, my family and the people around me. You know, I have Muslim friends. Of course, I have uh, people of color friends. I have female friends who are very gravely concerned about this administration and not just the president, but this administration and this and this military um, industrial complex that basically puts forth these policies that seem specifically aimed to disenfranchise certain groups of people in order to gain power for those those in power. So I, I would say that I'm very much concerned, and I'm also concerned that for so many years, you know, uh, so many people in power have failed to do the necessary grassroots groundwork that it would take to prevent these kinds of things from happening in the first place. 
we have to understand that the power comes from the ground up. It is a grassroots um, mechanism that we need to input in order to fight these things and prevent them from happening in the first place. And what we are seeing is the effect of a failure of those in power who did not adequately organize at the grassroots level to prevent these things from happening in the first place. And so I would say that at this point, we need strong, concerted resistance. We need well-organized organizations, and we need to get back to the grassroots level where we can relate to people in their everyday lives, where we can show them who actually has their best, best interests at heart. So if you are just tuning in, guys, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 9.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. We are reflecting on the Vietnam War and the current struggles with war today, and we have a very special guest on, Courtney, who is speaking with us. If you want to call in with a question or a concern, our number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Alyssa? Yeah, I do want to come back um, a little later on to that point about grassroots support and, and sort of talk about why we have not seen the rise of a, a big anti-war movement um, today, or at least not yet, that we saw back in the late 60s, early 70s. But before I get there, I think um, a big portion of why the Vietnam War still has an impact today, aside from, of course, the fact that we still have a lot of homeless veterans and other, you know, veterans issues that are impacted, that that have impacts, uh, sorry, that these veterans from the Vietnam War are still impacted by, along with many other veterans, is the idea that the Vietnam War was really a war that killed the trust of Americans in their institutions and in government. Um, I mean, we did not just lose the Vietnam War, and there was not just 58,000 young men and women killed in Vietnam War. The Vietnam War actually changed us as a country, and in many ways for the worse, because it made people very cynical and very distrustful of the government and of other government institutions and of the media. And those are still things that we are seeing today. And so for many people, um, we used to have a sort of universal support that part of being American was serving your country. But after Vietnam, people really did not feel that way anymore. And I think that still impacts how we look at the military today. And I think Courtney touched upon that when he talked about the military industrial complex and how it seems as though our military today is fighting wars for the purposes of protecting the global elite, um, for protecting politicians and moneyed interests and corporations. And I just thought um, I would like to get Courtney's opinion on how he feels that this uh, the Vietnam Vietnam War and the fact that it killed so many people's trust in the institutions and what he sees as that still impacting today's policies. And there's and there's three points I want to definitely add to your very good analysis. The one point is that I think the American people started recognizing that the aim of these wars was endless war. It was almost as if we cannot see a light at the end of the tunnel, and we had no idea when these wars would actually end. And for people who even uh, supported the war at the beginning, started to see, man, where is the end of this? And then the second point I want to make is there's two things, lasting effects of the Vietnam War. Unexploded ordinances in these countries where landmines and other types of munitions were used that are still killing people today. These people live in countries where they can't even walk on the countryside because they have to worry about being blown up by unexploded ordinances. And then the other lasting effect is Agent Orange, which not only killed so many civilians in that area, but it also deeply affected the veterans who fought in those wars. And we are still seeing the effects of those wars. Veterans for Peace has members who themselves were affected by Agent Orange, a toxic chemical that killed people. And then when you get affected by it, you can have children born 
with birth defects because of the effects of Agent Orange. We have a national program to expose the truth and, and clean up Agent Orange and unexploded ordinances, and we have a chapter in Vietnam who does that work every single day. Wow, you just told me something though. I didn't, I didn't know that at all, Courtney. Guys, if you're listening, you want to give some comments. You have a question for Courtney? Please give us a call at two one two six five zero six nine zero three. Again, that is two one two six five zero six nine zero three. Or you can tweet us at beheard underscore radio. There's always Facebook Live or politically preposterous. I want to throw it to Selena now. Yeah, so <clears throat> Courtney, I'm just wondering when you're going to run for president. But just in case that's not going to happen, um, here, here's the thing that I wanted to kind of propose to you. So we know that the actions that Trump has been doing when it comes to I don't what he believes will fight terrorism and ISIS would is actually just attracting and helping them recruit more people because as soon as he put that executive ban banning people coming from Muslim countries to our country uh, ISIS put out a statement saying that you know this is it um, and they've been using that to recruit and then using that as more propaganda to show people that yes the U.S. is against you so when it comes to that military strategy which you know we know and we believe is not the right way to go. We believe that we should be working with Muslim uh, Muslim Americans and other people around the world who are happen to be Muslim but are fighting against ISIS and who also happen to be Muslim and who are victims of ISIS. Um, what would you say about this military strategy? What is the best way that we can, you know, finish this the war on ISIS? Well, I would say that ISIS is an outgrowth of our endless military adventures in these Muslim-majority countries. ISIS is an outgrowth of the oppression, of the wide-scale destruction that we have wreaked havoc on these countries, and they use military, uh, U.S. Western military intervention in these countries as a, as a propaganda tool to say, see, the West hates Muslims. Don't you see that you need to come back to the Muslim countries? Don't you see that you need to come back to the Islamic State in, in, order, in order to live a, a free and, uh, you know, uh, Muslim life, don't you know that the West hates you? ISIL said this specifically in their publications. They said, we want to destabilize the Western relationship with Muslim-majority countries so that we can convince Muslims to join the, the Islamic State. That, that is propaganda that they're using, and, we're, and this administration is feeding right into it. It is the exactly wrong perspective to have on this. What we need to be doing is taking responsibility for the havoc that we have wreaked in these countries. We need to be paying reparations to these Muslim countries, and we need to show them that we are willing to work with them and not drop bombs in their countries and send commandos into their countries. Trump just recently sent commandos into Yemen, and his entire operation is a failure. We know that, that, that there were at least four casualties, including one commando dead and three commandos injured. It was a failed operation, and it's going to continue to fail, and ISIS is going to continue to be strengthened by these policies if we do not find another way forward in our relationship with these Muslim countries. We need to be embracing these refugees who come here fleeing the, the violence. As a matter of fact, contrary to what a lot of people think, Muslims are the majority victims of ISIL terrorism. They are the ones who are affected the most. It's not affecting Western, Western people the most. It's affecting Muslims the most. We need to be working with these countries for truth and reconciliation and an end to the violence. We need bilateral peace agreements with these countries. We, we need you know, increased trade and economic opportunities with these countries so that we can start to stabilize the areas. 
and not continue to destabilize them. Thank you so much for that, Courtney. So, Courtney, we do have to go on a quick break. Stay with us. When we come back, I want to touch on that topic of reparations, and I know Alyssa has some fiber as well. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. I'm Flexing on my ex. Flexing on my And so I guess the question is, although I am personally not really in favor of a draft, do you think that if we had a draft, that would sort of prevent endless wars that we are involved in now because we would have more people standing up at the grassroots level um, if people were getting drafted and getting sent overseas to you know, fight in these endless wars and being killed? Um, and if, if that's the case, if we think that the reason why we were able to end the Vietnam War the way we were was because of public pressure due to the draft, do we think that even though I may personally be against a draft, that may be a policy that we need to implement today because we'd have to think more seriously about the military decisions we make? Well, that's a definitely a good point, and it's a discussion that we've had in our organization for a while now. Truth be told, our organization has not taken a, an actual stance on whether or not a draft would be a galvanizing force for a revival of the peace movement. I would say that there have been good points made on both sides. My personal perspective would be that I am not willing to risk more lives and send more um, young men and women overseas to fight in the sports, you know, just as a way to galvanize a, a resurgence of the peace movement. I am not willing to take that risk. Um, I would say that there are we have a whole host of other options to us to regalvanize the peace movement, to regalvanize the social justice movement. One of the things that we have to start doing is relating the people in their everyday lives, providing for their daily needs, give them the resources that they need to live comfortably so that they can have the time and the energy to put into social justice movements. Now, if a draft does come back, if that's something that this administration or future administration wants to explore, I can guarantee you it would uh, revise the peace movement, just like the election of this current administration, you know, also revised uh, the movement in many ways. So I'm not willing to risk more young lives, particularly more black and brown lives and more, uh, you know, low income lives, more rural uh, lives for endless wars. I would say we need to do everything we can with, with the situation that we have right now to get people more interested and out in the streets and organizing for peace and justice. Thank you so much for that, Courtney. I want to pick up on that. And you talked about all the different lives that would be impacted if we went back to war. One of the biggest things we're seeing right now, because of the rise of Trump, and this is also pretty prevalent in the 1960s, is a lot of racial tension. So what I like to call it, the, the super rich, the millionaires and billionaires are pitting the poor white guy against the poor black guy, against the poor Muslim family, against the poor immigrant family, while they make more and more money. How do we get past that to realize that it's one group that needs to fight together? You know, a great example of that would be Fred Hampton. He was a Chicago Black Panther chapter member. He was the chairman of that chapter. As a matter of fact, my grandfather was a member of that chapter, uh, the Black Panther chapter in Chicago. What made Fred Hampton so dangerous is that he organized young black and brown youth in the city, and then he started organizing them with white, young, rural American men in uh, the Appalachian Mountains, for instance, who considered themselves Confederate patriots. He started organizing with them, and he bridged the divide between these two communities, and that is what made him so dangerous. They saw that it was an effective tactic to break apart the you know, divide-and-conquer tactic of the powerful because 
They want us to continue fighting against each other. They want us to continue this horizontal hostility so that we don't send power up the hierarchy. What we need to start doing is get back to that tactic. We need to start showing young, rural American people, working class people, and people in the urban cities and urban areas that we have more in common than we have different with each other, and we can organize and galvanize each other towards similar causes. Listen, Courtney, I don't even want to say nothing because you're out here killing it in these streets, and I don't so, should just be quiet. Told you, Courtney, 2020. I'm you, Courtney, I'm not religious, <laughs> but I'm about to walk straight to church, and I'm done over here with you, man. <laughs> so I, I, I do want to take a step back for a bit because you talked about reparations, something that we had a very interesting segment about on our show a couple of years ago. Um, but reparations for the victims of Vietnam, what would those reparations look like? I would say that reparations comes in many different forms. I think what, pe- what people think of reparations, they think of it simply as, you know, increased economic um, uh, input into their communities. But there, there's a whole host of ways that we can explore reparations. One of the ways that our organization, Veterans for Peace, is exploring that is we have a couple of different projects. Like I said, we have a chapter in Vietnam who actually works with the local people there to clean up unexploded ordinances and to take care of the communities that the United States devastated during that war. Another way that our organization has explored reparations is what we call the Iraq Water Project, where we have our members go and work with the people of Iraq and the people of the surrounding areas to provide clean, potable water for those people, because that's an effect of our endless wars in that region. And, you know, there's a whole host of other ways that we can explore it. The primary thing is for privileged people who find themselves in an advanced economic and social situation to go out of their way to provide for those of us who have been affected by injustice and oppression. Reparations comes in many different forms. I would be in favor of, you know, many different ways that people can explore it. Thank you so much for that, Courtney. So, Courtney, we do have to wrap up the conversation. Before I let you go, I just want you to let our listeners know how they can find more information from you, where they can hear you speak, if you have anything written, where they can read it at, because it is lit. Sure. I have uh, several articles published on our website, uh, veteransforpeace.org. We have a newspaper called Peace in Our Times, where we published a lot of our uh, positions and our opinions, and we have many of our um, our allies and our members write uh, opinion pieces in our paper, Peace in Our Times. Go to veteransforpeace.org to find out more about our uh, organization. And we have a Facebook page. We're on Twitter. We're on uh, Instagram. You can find us on all the major social media sites to get more information in. You can join as a veteran member, and you can join as an associate member if you never served. And there is always a place for anybody who wants to contribute to the Veterans Peace Movement. Courtney, thank you so much for calling into the show. We really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Courtney. And you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. So, guys, we do have to start wrapping up this conversation. Before we do, I got a round robin of closing statements. I want to throw it to Alyssa first. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I agree with um, everything that Courtney had to say about the draft and and how he wouldn't want to take that risk. And I think that's a really important point. Um, I do think that's a hard issue because, for me, on the other hand, I sort of, although, like I said, I'm personally against a draft, feel that if politicians, the people who are making the decisions about who goes to war, also had the potential that their sons and daughters 
players were going to get drafted to have to serve if Trump's, you know, sons um, were potentially going to be drafted to serve, then that would make him think long and hard about whether or not to get us involved in endless and perpetual wars. Um, but I do think that is a very hard question and something that's definitely open to debate. And there's a lot of really good points on either side of that debate. Um, that said, I'll end with this. And it's sort of connected to what I, I ended with um, the last segment and about resistance and about resisting. Um, during 1967, which is 50 years ago this year, uh, that was really when the Vietnam War was very much underway and the Tet Offensive was happening. And we saw a large rise in this country of many different social justice movements from the civil rights movement to the anti-war movement to the women's movement. Um, and, 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 and those things sort of culminated with the catalyst of the the Vietnam War driving those social justice movements at its back. And I think that that's a really important thing that we're starting to see again today. I mean, last week we had the Women's March and we're seeing a rise of the women's movement again. Obviously, Black Lives Matter has been a very important part of this conversation that has been going on now with the killing of unarmed black people in America for the past uh, several years. The the Black Lives Matter movement has really um, come back into play as like the new civil rights movement. I think we're also seeing uh, very much a rise in other social justice movements. And I hope that we also start to see a rise in an anti-war movement because I am concerned that because Trump is so unstable, he is going to get us involved in some kind of military conflict and it's going to cost us lives and money that we just cannot afford. And I would implore all of you listening today um, to get involved, not just in the Black Lives Matter movement, not just in the uh, women's rights movement, but also also in an anti-war movement, because I think that's a really important part of the conversation that we are having. Yeah, definitely. And I also wanted to mention that the Trump administration also has uh, signed an executive order that is asking, actually instructing the Pentagon to um to carry out a top-to-bottom review of the nation's military. He also plans to upgrade equipment, improve training, and invest billions of dollars to build up our military, something else that he has um, uh, campaigned on when he was running for president. And the scary thing about that is, like, we have that money could be used for so many other things, right? Whether that's helping our school education here, whether that's actually going overseas to help some of the victims in a, in a, in a better way. Um, I don't, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that Donald Trump instead is ignoring is honestly ignoring so many of these travesties going on in our country domestically. And instead is saying we need billions of dollars to build a wall and billions more to build up the military. That's, it's, it's just not the case and it's not the reality. I mean, if he's going to find more ways to put us in more military conflict, then yeah, but I, he doesn't have to do that. And I think that he should take a page out of President Obama's book, who used a number of diplomatic strategies and policies to prevent us going to war, particularly with Iran and the U.S.-Iran nuclear deal that prevented us, that prevented Iran from continuing to build their nuclear arsenal, right? And he did that with legislation, with the pen, the power of the pen. But we have a president now that wants to use force, military action, and anything that boosts his ego, and it's dangerous, and it's up to us to speak up to stop him. 
Donald Trump and the Republican Party, because they are one and the same as of this moment, are doing nothing but perpetuating war and hatred. But do not be fooled. Every single president since the very first one has perpetuated the institution of war and has developed and cultivated the industrial war complex. And that is why for every one bomb that is dropped on a community and kills hundreds or even thousands of innocent people, hundreds of thousands of people in America do not have food to eat, do not have a roof over their heads, do not have affordable health insurance because the people who are in power would much rather take power and hunger and land from someone else to help the super wealthy and the super rich than to help their own people. And we have to put a stop to that. And maybe Donald Trump is the ultimate example of a fascist, of someone who is destroying everything we believe in in this country. But it is time for us to take a stand today. And if you are tired of living in a country where we'll invest a billion dollars into a plane that can't fly, but we won't put in $55 million to help clean the water pipes in Flint, Michigan, then it is time for you to stand up. And that doesn't mean as one individual. It means as a coalition of black, brown, gay, lesbian, Muslim, man, woman, Hindu, Every single person standing up together and reforming a modern version of Shay's Rebellion because the only people who are getting anything beneficial from our experiences today are the super wealthy, and we need to be done with that. So with that being said, guys, we're going on a quick break. When we come back, it'll be the dreamers and doers. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 93.3 FM, (laughs) the voice of Harlem. So we just had a very spirited show, high energy show. We were talking about Trump's administration. Then we had our great guests come on and talk about uh, what war could mean, what this country could mean when it comes to war, military strategy, things of that nature. We, we talked about Vietnam and we also moved forward and, and, talked, and talked about how Trump might, you know, put us in another war with some of his strategies. But we are actually going to end this show on a good note. As you guys know, or maybe you don't because you're a first-time listener, every month we spotlight an amazing millennial who is doing great things in their community and also aspires to change the world, right? So we have with us today Keisha Hall, a.k.a. Big Keish. (laughs) <laughs> she told me to say that guys that was like, <laughs> so we have Keisha Hope she is a 26 year old native of Newburgh New York Newburgh. she launched a community outreach organization it's called Something Happening Always and it's dedicated to giving back to the community and uniting residents in a way that is innovative and fun sort of like yourself right <laughs> you seem very innovative and fun thank you, thank you. Um, on top of that her organization has supported youth programs focusing on academics, athletics, and self-development. She has also coordinated several basketball tournaments, a 5K run. She's conducted toy toy drives, sponsored athletes to attend pro-athlete basketball camps, 
and performed community service, right? On top of that, she has a YouTube YouTube channel. It's called Non-Idol, and it highlights artistic entrepreneurs and millennials and basically gives them a way to talk about their passion and how they're helping others, right? Thank yourself. Oh, thank <laughs> you, Keisha. So uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. No, of course. You're doing great things. And, um, you know, I understand that you even travel across the country and you're going to be in L.A. soon. So, you know, right. So I want to actually start the conversation by talking about when and why you began something happening always. So when I started, it was back in 2014. I was coaching basketball and I was coaching kids from underprivileged families and then kids from better off families and I just seen the disparities between the two and I'm just like they're just still kids you know I want to bring them back to the core value um, and show them what's more important um, that they could do whatever they want they didn't have any confidence in themselves Um, the number one piece of advice that I got was confidence is contagious so I pretty much just emulated that and showed a, showed them through example that they could do it. Like, they could do it. <laughs> Just do it, you know. Wow, wow. No, that that is amazing. So how did you come up with the name Something Happening Always? <laughs> so um, I was working at a place called Top Golf, And I had two, there was two older, two, uh, two older couples. And they liked my energy. And they were just like, Keisha, what else do you do? You don't just serve. And I'm like, well, I play basketball. Or I coach basketball. Um, I do this. I do that. So they broke down my name. So they're like, you're like an entrepreneur. You're a go-getter. You never stop. So they're like, Keisha Enterprise Incorporated. That's for your uh, your business. And they said, hmm, for events. Because I-, I wanted to do events. I knew off the rip. But I, I wanted to do it with a purpose. So they took SHA. as like something happening always. And I was like, I love that. They were like, we're going to see it one day. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call it something happening always. <laughs> wow. Why do you think it's important for particularly young people who come from community, low-income communities that might not be the best when it comes to education and crime, why is it so important for them to always be involved in community programs, workshops, or attending the events that you throw? To see that there's more than just, like, there's more than just Newburgh. There's there's a whole world out there that you can explore one day that if you just have an idea and you go towards it to bring it to fruition there is more and they don't see that they don't and i want to show them that i saw it because i ever since i started working i knew i didn't want to i wanted to work for myself but i didn't know how because growing up nobody ever said oh keisha what kind of business do you want to own they asked me like what do you want to do like nobody really asked that anymore but it's like i just always knew it was it's innate like i i love thinking of ideas and bringing it to fruition. So that's like, I just started. I just did it. Like, honestly, I just did. I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm done thinking about it, writing stuff down. Just take this step. And when you start taking steps, doors will open. They will open. That's a guarantee. I tried to take a step into stage 48 and doors didn't open. So I don't <laughs> know. Were you wearing the right shoes? I had all some Timberlands or the. <laughs> exactly. That's why I stopped you know there. What? Hey, <laughs> <gonna> <laughs> It doesn't. Apparently, that model doesn't work for Stanley when he wants to get into clubs. Um, okay, so what has been the biggest accomplishment that you achieved thus far with something happening always? I think the biggest accomplishment was just seeing kids. So I did uh, my 5K. I did it when I was in Tampa. Um, 
I did a toy drive as well. Like that was the purpose of the 5K. And I wanted to bring the, the toys to children's homes. So I'm calling to children's homes and they're like, we're have, we have um, an overabundance of toys. And I'm like, an overabundance of toys? Well, excuse me. So I'm like, okay, I need to think of a different way to get um, these toys out. So I'm like, you know what? Nobody ever thinks of the kids that are in the community. Like, yeah, they have a roof over their head. Yeah, they have a mom and dad. But nobody really thinks about them. So I loaded all the toys in my trunk, got three friends. We rode around the worst parts of Tampa, popped our trunks, gave out the toys. The kids were so happy. That was probably the best thing. Like, I'll never forget that. That made me feel so good. And even, like, the, the moms and dads, they were even appreciative. They were like, thank you so much. They, they were so grateful. And then there was this one specific family, a mother of five. She was so young. She's like 35, has five kids. She had nothing. So I went to her house. Um, I gave her the, her kids the toys first. And I look over in the corner and, like, they had a small TV. And in my mind, I'm like, Keisha, you got to get them a TV. Like, get them a TV. So I'm talking to my um, my boss of a black-owned business. It's called Potential Sports. I was mentoring youth. And I was telling her about, like, Chris, my Christmas. She was like, so what you do? I'm like, I gave out toys. Like, <laughs> um so I told her about the TV situation. She was like, Keisha, I can give you a TV. She gave me a 40-inch TV. So the next day, I brought it to the family. They were so happy. The 8-year-old was like, I haven't watched TV in years. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but, wow. yeah, that was the best moment. Wow. That is, you know, that's really, really amazing. Um, and it's, it's, it's powerful because, like, what you were saying is people in Newburgh, especially those from disenfranchised communities, you know, when you grow up in that type of survi- uh, surrounding and environment, you don't know that there's a world out there. And what happens, um, what, what you've been doing is the exact opposite. You said that somehow, some way, you've always had, like, these uh, ambitions and you always knew that you wanted more. And then you've been traveling. So mm-hmm. you've seen everything else, and then you come back and give to those people who mm-hmm. don't, and you're a living and walking testament of that. So that's powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to I want to talk about Non Idol, your YouTube channel vlog. It started off as a vlog or a blog? It's a vlog. Like okay, it's it a, a vlog. Okay. I always wanted to interview entrepreneurs because, like I said, um, I always wanted to work for myself, but I didn't know where to start. So. I'm like, okay, let me interview people. Like, let me interview people who've done it before, like get inside their minds. So I kind of wanted to be the catalyst for that and then go straight to people and ask them, like, why do you do what you do? Like, what made you think this? Like, how did this form in your mind? So just, you know, build off that and see see it from another perspective. Because once you see different things, it just starts building from there. <laughs> Right, right. And I've seen some of your interviews that you've been doing. Like, how do you select who is should be a part of non-idol i select people who um do it for a purpose um have a meaningful um background for why they do what they do and are humble they're humble and they and they're always out there like non-idol they're non-idol and they're always doing something for other people why is humility important for you because i always i just believe in god could take away anything at any given moment so remain humble remain humble and you're, you're like nobody's better than anybody right 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 no you're spoiled. i'm just like yes yes i'm just listening <laughs> i'm just listening to you speak so um i also wanted to ask you why do you also feel like it's important to spotlight um what you call artistic entrepreneurs and millennials on non-idol because okay so i was talking to um the black history month club at nfa the high school in my um community and I was talking to them about entrepreneurship. 
So I'm like, okay, do you know what an entrepreneur is? And they were like, no. I was like, somebody who owns a business. So picture in your mind what an entrepreneur is. And I said, what do you see? And they said, a white man in a suit. So I'm like, Hold on, no. they said that together? Yes. Collectively? Some were like, you. <laughs> and then most of them were like, a white man in a suit, like somebody on Wall Street. And I'm like, no. So I pulled up three examples of three young black entrepreneurs and i'm like see if they could do it like you could do it too it it's not it doesn't have to be traditional like yeah we own a business they're thinking a store or some traditional company no artistic like whatever comes to your mind and bring it like and bringing it to fruition right right but it all makes money off of it (laughs) but it starts with a vision right and you're helping them envision themselves in that place I'm right. Yeah. My rent being paid. So uh, what, Stanley? Can you help uh, him out with that? <laughs> I got you. We'll talk after. You okay. see, this is you <laughs> see, you speaking into existence. Yes, exactly. No, seriously, mm-hmm. you really do. I really, I'm a big believer in that. Like putting it out into the universe. Because mm-hmm. honestly, I've done that, and it's happening. Exactly. Like for instance, I said, "Oh, I want to speak to a class," and it happened. Like, it, like the door just opened. Literally. I wasn't thinking about it. It just opened. And I'm like, and I also said this year, I want to, I want to get interviewed. I'm so used to interviewing people. I'm like, I want to get interviewed. Bam. A spot opened up. Yeah, and that <laughs> was, and I, mind you, I contacted Keisha about six days ago. and was like, can you come in next week? And she was like, yeah. Because she yeah. spoke it into existence. Why don't you speak my student loans being gone into existence, <laughs> Lena? And why don't you do that, Stanley? Keep hustling. Dear Sally Mae, I don't want to <laughs> pay you no more. I don't know if it works like that, but we get the concept, right? Pretty much. Say it with conviction. All right. Say it with your chest. (laughs) Dear Sally Mae, I don't want to pay you no more. Now, that she works. Might, somebody might call you up and say, you know what? She's going to like, stop playing games when we come to your house. All <laughs> exactly. Right? I'm playing Taxes. Sally Mae, a.k.a. Navi, if you're nasty. Oh, my God. So, yeah. um, anyway, Keisha, so you're from Newburgh, right? And Newburgh, why do you think it has such a bad reputation for crime and poverty and gang activity? Why? Because Newburgh is smaller. Like, it's smaller than the city, so it's kind of condensed. And... Newburgh just has a stigma and it's more so like people outside that are not from Newburgh and they're like oh I don't want to go to Newburgh I don't want to get shot I don't want to get stabbed I'm like you know what Newburgh is beautiful it is um there's a lot of hidden gems um like you if if, thank you so if you look outside of that like for instance I lived in Florida for the past two years I moved back in April and I came back and I'm like wow like Newburgh like it's really up and coming gentrification but um (laughs) but there's still opportunity for the young people like if we take action now so that's why i'm like like really serious about this right now and i'm trying to reach as many youth as i can um in your bio you said that um your struggle fueled your drive and ambition to never settle or become competent what are some of the struggles that you faced in your life hmm that motivated you, too. Honestly, I was hungry. Like, I was literally hungry. I went, like, two days without food. Nobody, uh, I'm proud to put this out into the world. Nobody really ever knew this but, like, one person. But I ate at a soup kitchen. Like, I'm in college. I'm, I was starving. Like, literally starving. I went to the soup kitchen. Like, I, and that goes back to being humble. Like, I, I wasn't too good to go to the soup kitchen because I was hungry. And just seeing the people there, it's like, you know what? That's not going to be me. That's not going to be me. Um, just walking the streets, seeing, like, just coming back, like, my background, who my mother was. I'm like, that's not going to be me. That's not going to be me. And I spoke it to existence, and it's not me. Exactly. <laughs> wow, that is powerful, Keisha. I mean, 
that in itself just shows like you know just the power of determination and your resilience um is there anything else that you would say that really pushed or motivated you to look these controversies in the face and declare and decree that that's not going to happen to you the first time you ate spam because <laughs> that would change your life Oh my God! Is that how you got here, Stanley? When you ate some spam? Is Listen, that how? I, I grew up on spam and rice. Don't judge, all right? Spam? I'm not judging. I'm, I, I ate rice. I ate rice and ketchup. Rice and it was ketchup? rice and ketchup, you and you eat it real slow, and mm-hmm. it's just like a whole feast. <laughs> you know wow! Um, I gotta try that. I gotta try. <laughs> no, no, you no don't. the way she made it sound, she said a feast. Just all eat like, it real slow. She said eat it slow. You get some rice, don't you buy that, a dollar corned beef, and like you just, like you cook it all up into a big pot, and that's food for the week. <laughs> The struggle, the struggle, the struggle, the struggle, the struggle. But how did you find a way to like sort of turn that struggle around? Knocking on doors. Um, I never I don't like waiting for people like I'm very impatient and I hate I always hated the word. No, my mom would say to me all the time. (laughs) I hate the word. No, I hate it. So I'm like, okay, well, you say no, I'm gonna go knock on this person's door. Like I'll literally go to your doorstep. Like, don't don't ignore me. Don't ignore me because you'll see me. Trust me. Definitely because <laughs> your follow-up game is strong. That's why oh, Keisha is here. Big, big, <laughs> no. <laughs> FYI, you have to have that follow-through. So, you know, Keisha, we see that you're doing a lot um, across the country. You know, wh- what is it that you plan to do in L.A., matter of fact? So I want to expand non-idle. Like, that's what I want to do. Um, I've been doing so much past 2016. I'm like, you know what? Focus on one thing, Keisha. Like, I started a clothing line called Prayer and Hustle. Um, based off my lifestyle, uh, I started non-idle. Uh, I was doing stuff with uh, my not-for-profit. So I'm like, you know what? Slow down. Like, what is it? You have to be great at one thing. So I want to expand non-idle. Um, meet people. I want to network. Network. I want to leave LA knowing two thousand more people, if Wh- not more. Like, wow. And like, how are you funding all of this? Hustling. Wow. Hustling. Like I'm going to work. After, actually, we're going to do some stuff with non idol. Me and my partner Jasmine. Shout out to Jasmine. I met her at a networking event. She's a great woman. Oh. Um, <laughs> we're going to do stuff with non idol, and then I'm going to work. Nice. <laughs> well, make it work for you. We see that you're doing a lot, especially when it comes to community outreach, your or- your multiple organizations, how you're spotlighting other inspirational millennials. You know, we definitely need those voices out there and to get create a positive image for the youth. And then you're directly giving back, whether that's for toy drives and TVs. Um, so besides all of this, you're doing a lot. What is it that you dream to do in, let's say, five to ten years? Having um, interviewing Oprah, <laughs> like interviewing Oprah, just the most influential people like in the world, in the world. Somebody from America, somebody from South America, somebody from Africa and going international. Definitely. Wow, Keisha. And when it comes to your organizations and giving back, are you do also plan to expand that as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll never stop. I love kids. Absolutely. Um, one of my goals is to uh, develop a spot, a excuse me, a scholarship fund. I want to pay for somebody, a student athlete to go to school, to go to college, somebody who didn't think, who only thinks, oh, I can only get, I can only succeed from ball. No, you can succeed because you're you. Wow. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's a little, that needs to be a model. You need to put that on a shirt. You can only, say that again. You I can, just made that up, by the way. Like I, you can only succeed because you're you. You can succeed because because you're, you're you. you. I like that. I really like that. Thank you so Thank much, you. Keisha, for joining us here on Let Your Voice Be Heard, Thank you the so Dreamer and Doer series. No, we appreciated hearing you here. Um, definitely, let people know how they can reach out, how they can support you. 
Um, you can find Non Idol on YouTube, N O N I D L E. You can email me, K E I S H A A dot H A L L at gmail.com. Um, Facebook, Keish, K E I S H, space A, space hall. Definitely. So that's how you can find Big Keish, guys. And if you don't learn anything else, I think that we can learn that, you know, Find something in you like Keisha did. And once you find that, or even if you don't find that yet, right? Maybe you didn't find your purpose or your calling yet. But there's always somebody else that could use some help. Mm -hmm. And I think that what really distinguishes you from the other dreamers and doers that we have here on on this uh, show is humility, right? You really Mm -hmm. talked about how being humble. And I think that sometimes, even if we're doing good community work, right, and, and we're sacrificing and we're doing giving back to other people. Sometimes we get become so caught up in our own ego and who we are. And when you do that, you miss other opportunities, right? So I think that definitely being humble and remembering that you're here now, but you don't have to be, that definitely keeps you in a space and an open mindset where you can continue to give back from an authentic place Absolutely. in your heart. So thank you again, Keisha, guys. We are wrapping you're up welcome. the show thank here you. and Let Your Voice Be Heard. But don't worry. We'll be back next Sunday right here. WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Check us out online as well. WHCR 90.3 FM.